That's your color, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, yeah, that is my color. <laughs> that is really great. Well, mm. a lot of good stuff today, isn't there? Yes. We learned about colors mm -hmm. made without, you know, when you think of those little particles change the colors, little diatomic coatings change colors. It's fascinating. It and colors are really just different frequencies of light. Like if it were radio waves, it'd be like tuned in a different station, only our eyes see it with a different color. And it makes the world really beautiful, doesn't it? it does. yeah. yeah. Well, we, we need to get right into it because we've got some, some really good stuff to talk about today. But before we do, <laughs> I just have to tell you that I conducted an interview a little while ago, and I asked Peje how she was going to help oh. today. <laughs> and I said, are you going to sing? Are you story. going to speak <laughs> or are you going to act? <laughs> and she thought and decided she's going to act. Yep. So I, I just want to, right up front, thank her for her acting today because it, <laughs> it definitely is going to reinforce okay, the science that okay. we're studying. And I did not tell her how she would be asked that. No. <laughs> so just, we'll see how that works it's out, like okay? <laughs> now we need to get real serious for a minute. You know, we all are being mentored by Bill Lear, who was mentored by Thomas Edison, and we, we talk a lot about that. But today we're going to find out why and some of us may know, but I'll bet most of us don't know what we're going to go into today. Why Thomas Edison is considered one of the greatest inventioneers and scientists of all time. And everybody knows Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Well, a light bulb, pretty big invention. Why does that make him so famous? And you know, Thomas Edison did a lot of other amazing things. Motion picture, phonograph, a lot of things. But we say he invented the light bulb. Why is that so profound and so important? So I want to take you on an interesting little uh, trip of discovery that we will not finish today. Okay. And so just to get us ready, Bill Lear used to say, most people never achieve their goals because they don't know what they are. They haven't made goals. So let's make a goal. And our goal is going to be where we're going to end up. What are we going to learn from this? We're going to find out that in the process of inventing the light bulb, Thomas Edison laid the foundation for radio, for television, computers, it all came from his work in a very, very profound way. And I, I want to show that because it's really quite amazing. The other reason, and in fact, the most important reason why I want to show it is because as we trace this trail, we're going to understand things about radio, about molecules, about computers that are going to empower us to do amazing things. 
Okay, is that fair enough? Uh -huh. So, let's get started. Here is a light bulb. This is an Edison bulb. And as you know, there is a filament hooked to electricity. Electricity runs through the filament and it gives off light. That was his goal, to make light. And he did a lot of work to make the filament last. He tried a thousand different materials. He finally found a bamboo over in Japan. It seemed to work better than other filaments. But the real secret that made the filament last longer was to put the glass ball over the top of the filament and make a vacuum. When he took away all the oxygen so the filament didn't oxidize, that's when it started to last a long time. Okay? Now, kind of get braced here a little bit because we're about ready to go into the page acting part. Oh okay? <laughs> so I want you to think about this with me for a minute. We have a filament. We run an electric current through it. The electric current really is electrons traveling through at a velocity, creating heat, so the filament gets hot. As it gets hot, it begins to irradiate light. Okay? What is heat? When you look at it on an atomic scale, looking at individual atoms and molecules, heat is vibration. It's where they start vibrating. And to act out what a vibration <laughs> actually looks like. Okay, we're ready. What did it say? It says, now page <laughs> Would you please show us how the atoms vibrate? <laughs> Is that long enough? That was, that was really, or, uh, as the scientist would say, that was really hot. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got to so move, right? <laughs> this is, though, where it starts to get really interesting. So the electrons, the electricity is going through the filament. It's getting hot. It's glowing inside of a vacuum. And remember, Thomas Edison was using direct current. But then he noticed something very interesting. He noticed that on the glass of his light bulb, it started to get cloudy, but just on one side of the bulb. Hmm. It started to get cloudy. And he thought, maybe that's a reason why the bulb's going to fail. So he decided to study it. He ended up following a patent on what he saw. He called it the Edison effect. And the Edison effect is what started all of modern electronics today. Now think about it again. You've got a light bulb, you've got a filament, it gets hot, and for some reason it got cloudy on one side of the glass. Why not on both sides? If he had used alternating current like we do today, it would be on both sides. He was using direct current. And he saw that, he named it the Edison effect, he even filed a patent on it, he didn't quite understand what it was. There was a lot to learn about it. But he observed it. He captured it. He studied it. And then some really, really remarkable things begin to happen. When that filament gets really hot, which means that the atoms are... Vibrating. Yeah. <laughs> Only sometimes it gets even hotter than that, so they vibrate more rigorously. Do they? 
And when they do, and when they do, this is the point I don't want you to forget, and when they vibrate rigorously, some of those electrons get thrown off the atoms where they live. Yeah, I can't And those that. loose electrons literally go out into the vacuum of the light bulb. And that's what caused the Edison effect because one of the wires was connected to the positive side of the power source. Electrons are negative, and so like magnets, negative is attracted to positive, so they came shooting towards the positive wire, and they overshot and hit the glass, and that's what clouded it up. Hmm. Well, now, that really starts to create some interesting things. Now we're going to jump a minute to lay a little foundation. We are sitting in an ocean of radio waves. There are radio waves everywhere from different radio stations, from ham radio operators, from citizens band, people, anyone that's on the radio, those waves are coming out and they're, they're going all around us. In order to be able to capture a radio wave, we need to be able to detect it or rectify it. And I, that's a principle I want you to understand because it's going to be very important. So let me, let me describe an experiment and, and to take it away from electronics for a minute so we can maybe visualize it. Just imagine that I had a giant syringe. You know, syringe is what you give shots with, right? Mm -hmm. And I put a balloon on the end and I pull out the plunger, and the balloon kind of crinkles in. Then I push the plunger, and the balloon gets bigger. And so I want to pump it up, so I go in and out, and the balloon goes. Mm -hmm. Let, let's see if we can visualize this. Okay. <clears throat> can you see this? There's the syringe. There's the balloon. Every time I push it, it gets a little teeny bulb. And then when I pull it back, the bulb disappears. And no matter how many times I push it, I cannot inflate the balloon. But what if I could invent a way to make that syringe inflate the balloon? And it turns out that the thing, the technology I need to be able to inflate that, to make my syringe a pump, to pump up the balloon, is a thing called a check valve or one-way valve. Now look at this little sketch. Can you see here, there's a spring and a little seat that goes up and down. And so what happens is when air or liquid comes from the bottom to the top, it pushes that up and it can go through because it collapses the spring. But when it tries to go backwards, let's look at the figure again, it pushes it down tight and seals. So it can go one way, but it can't go the other way. And that's a check valve. It's a very important thing. Now look at this next figure. If we put two check valves in, one going in the balloon, so when we put air in there, it can't get out because the check valve will let it go in, but it won't let it come out. And then we have another check valve to let more air into the syringe when we pull it back. So when we pull it back, the, the uh, check valve on the right, there it is, the check valve on the right opens up and lets the air in, then when we push the syringe, the pressure pushes that valve closed and opens the one to the balloon, and you pump it up. You're not getting it. I am. <laughs> She's still back at the vibrate thing. 
I am actually. <laughs> well, luckily for oh, me. there we go. Now I can see it. <laughs> I happen to have one of these. This is a syringe. Uh -huh. This is a balloon, right? Right. And so what you do is I want you to just pump that balloon. Turn it sideways so we can see it good. I'd like you to pump it full of air. Good start. Fill her up, fill her up, fill her up. You're just teasing me. Okay. Because you just said it this, can't be done. <laughs> this is exactly what's happening right now with us in radio waves. Radio waves come in, uh -huh. a wave comes, goes back, and we, we can't really make any forward progress. We can't capture mm. the energy that's in the wave. Right. So then somebody made one of these. Same syringe, I'll let you hold it. And you notice I've got a, a Y here so that I can connect this all together. And I have a thing called a check valve. This check valve will let air go in, but it won't let air go out. Okay. It's a one-way door. Can you understand that? I put another one of these one-way doors right here on the balloon. So it'll let air go into the balloon, but it won't let the air come back out. So now, if you pull down on the plunger, air goes in here, pull back, good, and it's filling the plunger up. Mm -hmm. But now if you push it, this will close, and this valve will be pushed open by the pressure, and hopefully we'll see that air go in the balloon. More? Come on. That was a croak. <laughs> Do it again. Was that this is This is the acting <laughs> we were talking about. Look at that. Come on. You're doing just fine. Is the acting? Okay, now you guys are going to see more acting like you asked for. Okay. So you can say we're capturing the air because these one-way valves are making it only go in the direction of the balloon. Uh -huh. And I want everybody to understand that because it's very, very important to electronics and to a foundation of your understanding of this. High speed pumps faster. Really? You're doing fine, by the way. You're doing really good. <laughs> so, everybody got it? The check valve, the one-way that valve. Really. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> the one-way valve lets the air in, and then it closes when you put the pressure on it. What if we could do the very same thing with electricity? What if we had a way so the electricity could flow one direction of wire, but it couldn't flow back? then we would be able to do something really, really amazing, like capture a radio wave. In the early days of radio, the way they captured the signal was a crystal radio or a cat whisker radio. And they would take a material that was kind of a semiconductor, and they had a little piece of wire on an arm and they'd push it around there trying to find some place where it would conduct in one direction only because of the material. And then they could capture the energy of the radio station. Now you had to have an antenna to capture the wave. You had to have a coil to help tune it. But you put a hear a head earphone, a earphone, an <laughs> earphone, which it you can hear with. Earphone. A yeah. earphone right sure. there. And, you're, and you can hear the radio station without any batteries, without any electricity. And the electricity that's vibrating the headphone in your ear is power 
pumped into the transmitter of the radio station. So that energy actually came over the radio wave. But in order to capture that energy, normally if you have a wire you put out here, the radio wave comes and the voltage goes up and down as the wave goes shooting by. But if you were able to hook up to that wire with a one-way valve, then you could capture a little bit of energy like this and you could use that to power the headphone. And that's what they did with these crystal radios. Well, we needed a way to control the flow of electricity so it would only go one direction. If we could do that, we could do something amazing. And Edison's light bulb turned out to be the key to doing that. Can you see how we can control the flow of electricity with a light bulb? It starts with this phenomena of the Edison effect. The filament got warm, and when it gets bright warm, in other words, it gets really hot, electrons start coming off of the filament into the vacuum. Well, the next step in this progress came when an associate, actually one of the former employees of Edison, put a second electrode into the light bulb. And it was just a plate of metal. And the second plate of metal, he hooked up to another battery so that it could become positive or negative. And interestingly, when it was positive, the electrons would flow to it. They would escape from the light bulb filament and they'd come flowing over to it, and so a current would flow. But when it was negative, the electrons would be repelled. Because remember, positive and negative attract like magnets, but you turn the magnet around, you have two negative sides, two north poles together, and they repel. So maybe you can see it better with this little video we made. Let's take a look. Here's the light bulb. You see the electrons coming off, and they're floating across to the other plate. So you can see that the current is flowing, right? Mm -hmm. What if you were to put an alternating electricity into this light bulb across those two? It would flow when it was going one direction, but then when the current went the other way, it couldn't flow. And why couldn't it flow? because the second plate isn't hot. It's the hot plate that gives off the electro electrons. And so since it was <laughs> not hot, it didn't give off electrons. And so lo and behold, when the current tried to flow the other direction, it would build up a charge. The electrons wouldn't flow. And the negative charge there and the negative charge on the filament would repel each other. Let's look at this video. So the electrons couldn't flow. Can you see the negative charge is pushing them back away? And so lo and behold, we have what electronic engineers or electrical engineers call a rectifier or a diode. And we made a lot of vacuum tubes that were diodes. And they had the ability then to capture a radio wave and to detect it or to rectify it 
so that you could use it then to go to a headphone or later when we learned how to make an amplifier, we could actually amplify it and have it power a speaker. So that all came from dear Mr. Edison. And now, granted, there were other people that came along, like Fleming made the idea of putting in the second electrode, and that's how science goes. One person gets a good idea, we publish it, and another person gets another good idea, and we publish it, and so things start going forward. So, did you get what I was trying to say? Did you want to do some more pumping? <laughs> to make that to make that frog smile. It's just really interesting <laughs> that we see the concept of one-way vowels. So these one-way vowels, she's doing really good, isn't it? <laughs> these one-way vowels are making it possible so the work she's doing is being stored up here in this pressure. And that is exactly how we detect radio waves, and we're gonna find that goes on and on. Now remember, we had the filament, which is just, it was two wires, but it was just one wire looping around, and it would give off light. Then we put a second one in, and it would let the electricity flow in just one way. So if it was direct current, you hooked it up right, it would flow fine all the time, but if you turned the wires around, it wouldn't flow at all. And if you put alternating current on, Instead of being alternating coming out, it would it'd be just one way, one way, it'd be a, a break in between, but it would always keep flowing in the same direction. And that made it possible to detect radio waves with a vacuum tube. And they made vacuum tubes that actually were diodes. Now, the next thing that really makes this interesting is when we go from a diode, which meant it could just flow one way, to in the middle. I wanna, I wanna go back to that video, the first one, and show you. Can you see how it's emitting the electrodes, or the electrons over the filament, and they're flowing through to the second plate? What if we put a screen, like you put in a screen window, mm -hmm. in between them? And what if we would apply a signal to that screen, like a rectified signal from a radio station. It'd be a very, very weak signal. But it turns out that if that screen is just a little bit negative, it will repel the electrons. And if it's a little bit positive, it'll attract them and they'll flow through. So now the current will flow or not flow depending on the presence of the radio wave. And that's how we make a vacuum tube that is an amplifier. Now once you have the ability to amplify a signal and to do it very, very fast, because this is just electrons, there's no moving parts, then you were able to make a vacuum tube based computer. And the first computer, the real computer, electronic computer, was the ENIAC. It was a computer made of many, many, many big vacuum tubes and it's part of the story we want to get into as we move forward with this. The ENIAC could solve problems that we really couldn't solve before <clears throat> because it was so powerful, and yet <clears throat> it took a tremendous amount of electricity. <clears throat> you hear that frog in my throat? Yes, yeah, from that balloon. <laughs> we gave it to you. Okay, good. <laughs>
This is why they invented hydrogen water yeah. for this very purpose. Yes. Excuse me. You go ahead and act some while I drink it. <laughs> so we have questions coming in. Um, you said you were talking about a rectified signal. <clears throat> yes. And they want to understand better what a rectified signal is. Okay. A radio wave goes through the air, and if you just put a wire from a tree to your house uh -huh. and bring one line inside, you have an antenna. Okay, that's a real homemade antenna. You might get a fancy one in a store, it's got the element, but you have a, a radio antenna. And as the radio wave hits that antenna, it generates electricity, a micro amount of electricity in the antenna. But the electricity is going up and down as the waves come. Mm -hmm. And so you never can get any power out, it's just coming and going, coming and going. If you rectify it, that means you put a one-way valve in there. And so every time a wave hits the antenna, you get a little spurt more air going into the balloon. Okay. Oh, in this case, the balloon is electrons going into your radio so that you can hear it. So you rectify the signal. In other words, you detect it. In fact, some people call them detectors. Okay. You detect what really is there on the radio signal. When, when the radio signal comes, you can't hear it, you can't see it, mm -hmm. you can't play it, but if you detect it by putting this one-way diode on it, then all of a sudden you have a signal that you can amplify and use to play music, et cetera, et cetera. So rectifier and diode are the same thing. A rectifier and a diode in this context are the same thing. There's a little bit of difference in traditionally how they came about, how they were made. But yeah, it's same. And it's interesting how, how diodes, in my lifetime, have just got better and better and better and better and better. That's really neat. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how someone gets an idea and it makes something a little better, and someone else gets an idea and makes it a little bit better. When I was young and uh, very interested in radios, uh, it used to be that in, in the radios that I could get at the store where they would throw them away when they didn't work. <laughs> Thank you, put them on the bike <laughs> and take them home. And usually the reason they didn't work is one of the vacuum tubes had burned out. And usually the way they burn out is the filament that glows mm -hmm. hot would burn up. And so I could open the back, turn it on, and any of them that didn't light up, aha, pull it out, I'd get one from another scrap radio, the same one, and put it in. And I could fix them just by swapping tubes. That's neat. How big were they, the vacuum tubes, about? Well, they're that size, that size. they're bigger. Big radios. But then they started making them smaller mm -hmm. as time went on. And uh, some people know what a 6AU6 is, and they're, they all have different numbers, they have different geometries inside them, they do a lot of different things. But when when we used to get up in the morning and turn on the radio, mm -hmm. we want to hear the music or the news, you turn on, <laughs> nothing would happen. <laughs> Other than the, the light would come on, so you'd tell, oh, it's on. And you'd wait, and you'd wait. It took almost 30 seconds for those tubes to warm up, and until they warmed up, they didn't work. Once they got warmed up, <laughs> the music would come on. That's how some yeah. people are in the morning. 
takes a good 30 seconds to warm up. <laughs> and, then, and then we work. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Okay, well, anyway, so with these, uh, these early radios that I was really all into and doing a lot of fun things with, um, they had speakers. And the speakers today have two wires. Those two wires hook up to the amplifier, and inside the speaker there's a little coil. Remember, we, we showed that last year. A little coil around a magnet so that when you run electricity through it, it creates an electromagnet and it moves the cone and, and makes sound, okay? That's how they work today. Well, these old speakers had four wires, which was really, really interesting. And I was fascinated what those other two wires were. So I started researching, and <clears throat> researching meant I put the voltmeter on them to see if I could measure the voltage. And the voltage on the second pair of wires was really high. I mean, it's like enough to electrocute you. It's wow. like 100, 200 volts. Wow. And as I analyzed it carefully, that high voltage, I think they call it the B-plus signal, went to a coil on the speaker. And the coil made an electromagnet. Today, we just put a permanent magnet there. So we don't need that high voltage. Why didn't they just do that? One of the biggest things that has happened in the last few decades was the development of magnets. I mean, we had magnets long before we had me. But <laughs> magnets got better, and they got better, and they got better and better. Now you can get those rare earth magnets. Uh, I think by now everybody's seen a drone. Yeah. You have a drone with four propellers, where they go. Do you know that those drones would not be possible without rare earth magnets? The Making a magnet that has a, a strong enough magnetic filled around it, light enough to be able to make a little motor like that, just wasn't possible. But back in the early days of radio, they had to make the magnet with a big electromagnet, which nearly electrocuted some young blossoming scientists. <laughs> I did, yeah, anyway, we won't go into that <laughs> Boy, any further. I fast but the that. ability to be able to capture the information in a radio signal and get power out of the radio signal by making it go just one way, enough power to even run an earphone and be able to hear the radio stations with no batteries, with no not being plugged in, is really quite fascinating, isn't it? Yes. Now, I've, I've told the story uh, not too long ago in our, our lectures where I had a friend that lived by the big radio station. The big towers were just down the street from his house, and we were out in his shed, and he was trying to work, and it was dark. And uh, I noticed in his house they had a box of fluorescent light bulbs, you know, the, mm -hmm. the four-foot-long ones that have mercury vapor in them, and they light up tube lights. So I went and got one, and I took a piece of wire, and I wired it from one end, and this may have been more for ceremony thing else. And I made a little coil, just like three <laughs> ramps, and then I hooked it up to the other side. And the light came on. 
It worked better, by the way, if I'd hold it with my hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's called the grounding effect. <laughs> but there was, and I said, here, I, I invented free of energy. <laughs> of course, we were just in junior high school. When this, this is free energy. And we put it up in like his shed, magic. and he had light. It wasn't real bright, but he had light from then on. And the energy that was lighting up that light bulb was coming from the radio station, wow. which is really kind of fun. And on these crystal radios, even if you're clear across town or in the next state or somewhere else, to be able to capture enough energy coming through those waves was really a big deal. Now, I think that's one of the reasons why Tesla thought that he could transmit energy through the atmosphere, and uh, no one has been able to commercially do that yet, but who knows? Maybe they will. It is kind of interesting. I, I think one of the big breakthroughs that we're getting ready to see, and maybe one of you will be the one to come up with this, but we need a way to distribute energy like throughout a building or throughout a house without wires, okay? And we can send radio waves, but the amount of energy is so small you can't really use it to power anything. Well, it turns out that there are getting to be ways. Uh, there is a company over in the UK that manufactures a smoke detector. Uh, what's more annoying than to have the battery in your smoke detector go bad in the middle of the night? Yeah. <laughs> and you start hearing that beep, beep. Yeah. It's very annoying. It well, they came up with a, a smoke detector that doesn't have a battery. And what happens is they've got a little teeny solar collector panel on the smoke detector. And you say, yeah, but it's in, inside the house. There's no sun. But there is light. So they try and capture the light in your house from the sun coming in the window or from a light being turned on to just charge up a rechargeable battery that's in the light or in the smoke detector. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Well, that kind of technology, I think, is getting ready to really happen. Uh, last month, uh, Dr. John told us about the people that are trying to figure out how to pull energy out of the atmosphere. And, and I, uh, they're using a bacteria to react the trace amount of hydrogen in the atmosphere. And oh, while I was listening, I got a whole bunch of ideas <laughs> of how yeah, you can maybe make a little battery unit. I, called it, I call it an air battery. I think that's what he called it. That would take the trace amount of hydrogen in the air and generate electricity for a little device like that around that's your house. But I think it's coming. Uh, in, in energy, the rule of thumb, in fact, the law, is the conservation of energy, and that means you don't get a free lunch. If, if you want to power something, you have to get power from somewhere. But we get it from drilling and finding natural gas. We get it by putting up a solar collector, getting it from the sun. We get it from the wind. We might get it from waves. So you always have to figure out where it comes from. But I think we're getting ready to see a jump in a system of distributing energy. Uh, Lithium-ion batteries are a major breakthrough. Major breakthrough in technology from the old lead-acid clunkers that, that we still use in our cars to, to start our gasoline engines. 
I think we're going to see some big breakthroughs in the way we distribute power. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is coming is a way to take some of the electricity in our AC power cables that we have in our homes and be able to send it all over in the house without wires to a bunch of little things, little lights. You want to put up a light, you just put it up. And since it's in your house, and maybe there'll even be a security thing so you can tune it and only you get to use the power you're making. It's <laughs> uh, probably only go a very short distance, but it'd be neat. I know people are trying to do that by sending ultrasonic signals. And uh, I got all into that. I actually have a little ultrasonic transmitter. Remember, ultrasonic means high frequency sound you can't hear, mm -hmm. unless you're a bat. And Kiva, my dog can hear it. But uh, sending this ultrasound wave over to receiver and then getting enough power to power something. I found out that I had to do a lot of work to be able to get one LED on very dim. Uh, so I don't have that figured out yet. But someone's going to break through on that soon, I think. It's interesting to look at need. Uh, I believe it was Edison that's quoted as once saying that necessity is the mother of invention. And so quite often the way you invent something is you see a need. We need something like that. Wouldn't that be great? You know how you have to go change the battery in your clock? Yeah. That seems like a real easy one. You ought to put one of these little widgets in there and then you put a little plug-in thing somewhere in your house and it sends out this mystic energy that I don't know how we're <laughs> going to do it yet. And so all the clocks don't need batteries. And if we had that, we'd do a million other little things that would just all work. And I think someday we'll probably even be able to power the computer in our watch and other things with these energy sources. Right now, they magnetically couple with the charger. You don't have to plug them in. Well, that's a step. So we'll see. Well, I want to just conclude by saying uh, we have a, a wonderful heritage. Those of us that are being mentored by the brilliance and the, the wonderful science research and development and inventionering ideas of Thomas Edison, uh, he did so many great things. And he started us off on this path. And the fact we have a cell phone, the fact that it's a smart cell phone all goes back to the fact that he saw something unusual happen. He gave it a name, the Edison effect. And he pursued it and opened the door to, to further breakthroughs. The best breakthroughs in the history of this planet are still coming. If you think they've all been made, they haven't. The really good ones are coming, and I'm looking forward to you guys to do it. See you next time.